Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Soul City Church, what a gift it is to be with you on this side of our country. My name is Rich Velotis. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. And what a joy it is to be before you in this kind of a way, to open up scripture and to hear what our Lord has to say. Uh, I'm grateful for the ministry of your pastors, uh, Jeannie and Jarrett, and the work that you're doing. I've been on your website. I've been looking at your values. I've been watching your worship services. And it seems as if there's significant just kindred spirits between our communities. And so it is truly a joy uh, to be with you. I happen to pastor a church that is in the heart of Queens, a church with over 75 nations represented, 123 languages spoken in the nearby hospital, in a place where National Geographic called the most diverse zip code uh, in the world. And so it's a beautiful, it's a compelling, it's a confusing, it's a disorienting place to be. And we're trying to uh, figure out what it means to abide in God well and abide with one another uh, really well uh, in addition to that. And so I want to be preaching along those lines. Now, I have to confess, I have never been to Chicago. I've never been to Chicago. Uh, I know, pray for me. I'm missing out on so much. Uh, And so this feels like a tryout here, that if I do well in this uh, remote setting here, maybe you'll invite me to the Windy City, and I'll be able to do this uh, in person. So I feel a lot of pressure uh, to get that invitation so I can make that trip to Chicago. We're going to look at John chapter 15, verses 5 through 12. I'm talking about the abiding life, abiding well in God, and abiding well with one another. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's a powerful verse here. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of Scripture and the invitation to abide in you. So teach us this day what it means to do that and what it means to abide well with each other in addition to that. We offer this time to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In her book, Disunity in Christ, Dr. Christina Cleveland highlights a very humorous and real anecdote by the comedian Emo Phillips. Emo Phillips was a comedian who wrote about the divisions among Christians that GQ magazine ended up calling the 
44th funniest joke of all time. But I don't know how funny it is because it is so true to what it means to be Christians in this generation. But this is what Philip says. He says, I was walking across a bridge one day and saw a man sitting on the edge about to jump off. I ran over to him and said, stop, don't do it. Why shouldn't I, he asked. Well, there's just so much to live for. Like what? Well, are you religious? He said, yes. I said, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? He said, Christian. I said, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? He said, Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or are you reformed Baptist Church of God? The guy sitting on the ledge said, reformed Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Are you reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And I looked at him and said, die, heretic. And I pushed him off the ledge. Amen. Now that story and that joke by Emo Phillips, it's, it's hard to receive and laugh at because this is the nature of the church, isn't it? that we divide over the very small stuff. And if that's true about the small stuff, how much more do we divide over the big stuff? And it's not really up to our imagination to be thinking about this. This is the truest reality that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in a politically polarized society, a racially polarized society, an ideologically polarized society. And so what we find before us is the, the hard reality and the hard task of abiding well with one another. And yet the church is to be the place that demonstrates the love of God more than any other community. That the best apologetic we have as the body of Christ is not our good theology, it is our love towards one another, which is why Jesus says, this is how they the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And so in our text today in John chapter 15, we find Jesus inviting us into a kind of life that moves beyond our polarization, that moves beyond the divisiveness that we see, to live a life that abides well with one another, that flows out of an abiding with God. When we pick up in our text, Jesus is offering final words to his disciples as he's about to go to the cross and what we find in Jesus' words is essentially him narrowing down three years of teaching. Three years he's been with his disciples. Three years he has demonstrated miracles. Three years he has proclaimed the kingdom of God. Three years they have seen all kinds of miraculous things through his life. But now he is giving a kind of summary of what he's taught them over the past three years. And if you can narrow down what Jesus has taught his disciples in one word, it's what we find in John 15. It just might be the word abide. Abide. Jesus repeatedly tells his disciples to abide, that you cannot live the Christian life 
unless you learn how to abide. That you cannot love well unless you learn how to abide. That you can't be his faithful witness in the world unless you learn how to abide. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now this word abide appears in the Gospel of John many times. In the Greek language, the word for abide is the word meno. And it's critical to understanding the Gospel of John because it comes up multiple times in this Gospel. Not 10 times, not 15 times, not 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, 50 times. 63 times in the Gospel of John, this word meno comes up in some form. And the word meno means, uh, it's a range of meaning for this word. It means to dwell, to abide, to remain, to continue to be present, to continue in relationship, to endure, to wait, to submit to, to act in accord with, to be faithful to. Let me ask you a question. Do these words describe your life with God? Do these words describe your life with one another? Abiding. There's something about remaining in God, that God is able to do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves. A helpful image might might help us to get at what Jesus is saying in John 15 and this word, abide. Every single morning, I make myself a cup of coffee. But next to my coffee-making activities in the morning, I also make my wife a cup of tea. Amen. Every morning, I make my wife a cup of tea. We've been married 15 years, and I don't know if that's the secret to a good 15 years, but every morning, amen, I'm making my wife a cup of tea. Now, uh, there's something that tea drinkers know uh, that I'm going to break it down for the rest of us, okay? That there's two ways to make tea. We're going to get real deep here, so take out the pen and the pad. Two ways to make tea. Uh, The the first kind of uh, tea-making way is is the way of the dipper, the way of the dipper. And and the people who who are dippers have their hot water, they have their tea bag, and they they dip the tea bag in, and they dip it out. And they dip it back in, and they dip it back out. And when the tea is to their liking, they take out the tea bag, and if they want to get sophisticated with it, They have a spoon, they wrap it around, they press it down, and then they discard it, and then they enjoy their cup of tea. I'm a dipper. Uh, I'm a dipper. If you're watching this in the chat section, just chat right now. Are you a dipper or, or, or are you doing something else here? But I'm a dipper with my tea. But there's another way of making tea. Take good notes here. Another way of making tea. And the other way of making tea is not to be a dipper, but to be a dweller, to let the tea bag just steep there, to let it just sit there and, 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 and let it do its, let the water do its own work. And, and, and without your energy, without your influence, you just let the water, the hot water do what the hot water is supposed to do. Now, now I was talking to someone one day, we were having a meal at a local restaurant and, and I was having my coffee and he was having his tea and he was dipping a couple of times, but he dipped maybe three times, boom, boom, boom. I said, man, that's not a lot of dipping, my brother. And he took it out and I said, why don't you just let it sit there for a little bit? And he said, if I just let it sit there, it's going to get too strong. 
the tea is going to get too strong. And when he said too strong, I almost threw my cup across the diner because I said, my God, that is a word from the Lord. And you hear the sirens in Queens getting excited about this revelation that I'm sharing with you right now. I was like, that's a word from the Lord. And, and that's what it's like to be in the presence of God, to abide with God. The longer you just sit there, the presence of God gets so strong that you find yourself doing stuff that you could not do in your own strength. When you're dipping, transformation comes on your own energy, through your own effort, through your own works. And then when you get satisfied, you just let it go. But the dweller is someone who immerses themselves in the presence of God and allows God to do what we cannot do for ourselves. That's what it means to meno, to abide, to dwell. Jesus is getting at this important truth. Be like the dweller, not the dipper. As much as I'm a dipper with my tea, to be a dipper in the spiritual life will get you in a lot of trouble. You can dip in the Bible and dip out the Bible, dip into church, dip out of church, but there's something about being a dweller, one who takes the time to be immersed in the life of God. This is what David says when David says, one thing have I desired and that will I seek after that I may, here it is, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Jesus teaches us to abide. But we have to understand the purpose of abiding is not just so we can get some religious goodies out of it. The purpose of abiding is not so we can just feel good about our relationship with God. We abide in God to experience union with God in prayer, union with God in intimacy, but that's supposed to take us somewhere. The abiding that we have with God is to lead us to abide well with one another. And so right after Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, he goes into the, the next moment of his little sermon here where he says that this abiding is to now be characterized and expressed by love. Love each other as I have loved you. How much does Jesus love us? He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And this is remarkable. Jesus says, out of our abiding in me, in me, that love, that abiding, that ability to be present is to flow out of us. But the challenge with reading those words of Jesus is, have you considered the disciples he's speaking to? It sounds beautiful. Abide in God, abide with one another. But when you take a moment to recognize who Jesus is talking to, it sounds almost impossible. Have you met his disciples? It's one thing if Jesus gathered his disciples based on shared interests and, and shared values and shared personality and the same Enneagram number, whatever it was, and says, okay, God, love each other, have a good time. You guys root for the same team. You guys enjoy the same food. Uh, you know, you guys would make a great small group. It'd be one thing if he gathered people who were very similar in their interests, similar in their personality. But when Jesus gathers his disciples, 
He gathers people who are so different from one another. He calls people from different temperaments and personalities and values. And he says, I'm going to call you to be together as a community to demonstrate what God can do with human community. I love that in the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of Mark rather, Mark goes into detail to list Jesus' disciples. And when you scroll through the names, you realize this is a strange group. In particular, there are two guys who, who are named in the list that have no business being in the same small group, no business being in the same church. And yet Jesus said, uh, uh, you guys, we're going to go, we're going to be put together here. There's a guy named Matthew and a guy named Simon. This is an odd couple. Let me explain. Matthew is a tax collector. Simon is a tax protester. Matthew collected revenue for the Romans. Simon was a rebel against the Romans. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was a commoner. Matthew lived to make his money by overcharging people like Simon. Simon lived to kill people like Matthew. And Jesus says, you guys would be a great in a small group together. And he puts them in there together. You could not be more different. It, it's like he's saying, you know, Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow, you two, you guys would be wonderful in my group together. This is no accident, though. Jesus is being very intentional. He's saying, essentially, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to learn how to have a heart for people who don't look like you or think like you or vote like you or act like you. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to do it not in a privatized way with just me and you. You're going to have to do it in relationship with others. And so what Jesus is essentially saying in this chapter here is a good measure of our discipleship is not how much Bible we have stored in our brains, but a, a, a good measurement of our discipleship is the state of my heart towards people who are different from me. And this only comes out of abiding in Christ. We abide in him so that we could abide well with one another. And, and so the love of Jesus is to melt away the barriers that are often erected between us. And so Jesus says this word, he continues, he says, he says, my command to you is to love one another. I want you to know what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to tolerate one another. Our society has placed a high value on tolerance, but tolerance is much too low of a value for the kingdom of God. Many of us feel good uh, to talk about an ethos of tolerance, but if you, if you actually pay attention to the word here, it's not really flattering. To tolerate is, it comes across as we're basically putting up with someone. Imagine if you look at your, your husband and your, your wife and, 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 and it's late at night and, 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 and the, the candles are out and, and, and it's nice and dim and, 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 and the kids are asleep and, and you look at your significant other and you said, I, I just want to tell you something from the bottom of my heart. I tolerate you. 
I tolerate you. It's like, uh, thank you, I think, thank you. Uh, how am I supposed to feel? Imagine if you go to your children and, 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 you, and you go, little Johnny, come over here, little Johnny, and, and there's something I gotta tell you, son, uh, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I, I tolerate you, man, I just tolerate you. Little Johnny's going, I, I don't know if this is a good thing here. Uh, tolerate feels like such a low bar for the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't tell us to tolerate he says to love one another. Back again to what Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is impossible to do in our own strength. But with God, nothing is impossible, which is why we are called to abide in him so that we could abide with others. You can tolerate people without God's empowerment, but you can't love without God's empowerment. And what Jesus is saying is abide in me so that you can learn to dwell with one another. Now, as I think about this text, I want to drive this home in the final moments I have with you. How do we love? And what does it mean to love? How do we abide well with God and abide well with one another? I actually think there are many forces that are coming against the invitation to abide. And I want to just highlight a few of them to have it in our collective imaginations so that when it comes up this week, we're able to say, no, no, God is calling me to abide and to resist these forces. As I think about what Jesus says about love and being present, I recognize there are forces we have to contend with. And the first force we must contend with is the force of disconnection. Disconnection. The force of loneliness. How do we abide? Well, it, it means we abide amidst the culture of disconnection. Henry Nouwen, the great author, a number of years ago, named the danger of loneliness that we all experience. And what's increasingly becoming a reality is the intense loneliness we feel even in an overconnected technological world. A couple of years ago, the New York Times came out with an article about the UK appointing a minister for loneliness. The former Surgeon General of the US wrote an article for the Harvard Business Review arguing that loneliness is one of the greatest threats to our society. And he said that loneliness can be associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. One expert in the United Kingdom said that loneliness is worse for health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We know this to be true. We know this theologically to be true when in the beginning of the Bible, God says it is not good for a man to be alone. He's not talking about marriage necessarily. He's talking about human connection. And so what does it mean for us in our communities, in our churches, to be people who are marked by connection? And we need to be reminded of this even in the midst of this ongoing pandemic. And yes, there's signs that things are getting better and, and we're moving towards a hopeful end, but still there's so many people who are so lonely within our congregations. What does it mean for us to be a good gift, to recognize those who are disconnected from community? to recognize those who are experiencing loneliness, to recognize those who are shut in, to recognize those who don't have the flexibility to move about as they once did. 
We are called to dwell well, but it reminds us to pay attention to the the disconnection and the loneliness that pervades our culture. We abide in a context and in a culture of disconnection. But secondly, we are called to abide in a culture of distraction. We live with what sociologists call in a continuous state of partial attention. This is the world we live in, in a continuous state of partial attention. And I believe our culture, like never before, has been so caught and trapped to a culture of distraction. And the main problem we have is our relationship to technology. Now, I realize that those of you watching, not everyone has the same relationship to technology as the person uh, next to you or the person down the block from you. Some of us actually have good boundaries when it comes to technology. We have healthy engagement when it comes to technology. But for the rest of us, (laughs) this is cause for lots of problems and keeping us from abiding in God and abiding well with one another. There was a fantastic book in the 90s. It was a prophetic book by a guy named Neil Postman who wrote a book called Technopoly. And in the early 90s, he was writing about where technology was taking us. And this was so prophetic because he's able to name things that here we are in this year feeling like we've never seen it before. Postman said in the early 90s that technology often moves from being a tool to an intruder tool to an intruder. Instead of it being something that we use, we end up being used by it, and this compromises our ability to abide well with God and abide well with one another. Dr. King has said that we have allowed our technology to outrun our theology. Arthur Bowers, a wonderful author, has has said that we are not good at weighing the price of technological progress. He writes, and I quote, we are all good at naming the conveniences that technology provides. We're not so good at recognizing its inconveniences, displacements, losses, and intrusions. And then I love this line. We have to love technology enough to describe it accurately. And we have to love ourselves enough to confront technology's true effects on us. We have heard of all the terrible tragedies of people texting while driving. In New York City, there's another problem. It's texting while walking. In New York City, in my neighborhood in Queens, on Queens Boulevard in many areas, there's, there is a, uh, uh, some paint on the, on the street that says, look up. And I wonder why, why right at the sidewalk it says, look up. What, be, what was happening is people are texting across what was known as the Boulevard of Death. The Boulevard of Death, that's how many people died on Queens Boulevard a number of years ago. But people were texting as they're walking across the Boulevard of Death. So they had to put signs on the street saying, look up, you're about to get smashed, you're about to die, look up. But this is the reality that we're in. We are a distracted people. And because we are such a distracted people, we don't know how to abide well with one another. There was a professor at MIT, a woman by the name of Cheryl Turkle, 
who have studied the relationships that people have to technology for over three decades. And she wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation. And she notes the impact of technology on families, on, on friends, on dating, on teaching, on education, on the workplace. And she notes that we now have the first generation of children who grew up on smartphones. And the result is these children often have a hard time with eye-to-eye -eye contact, having a hard time with conversations, people resolving conflicts through text messages and not face-to-face -face presence with one another. But the invitation in this passage in, in John chapter 15 is to abide, abide in God so that we can abide well with one another. There's a third force. And so we have the, 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 the force of disconnection, the force of, of distraction, and then there's the force of disagreement. The force of disagreement. There's something in the air in the United States and maybe around the world, but we feel it in the States where disagreements automatically turn into division. The church has always had disagreements from the very beginning, but we're at the point in history where the tensions and the hostilities that we see have found their way into our churches and found their way into our homes, found their way into our souls. And yet to dwell well with God invites us to dwell well with one another. This is why at, at our church, I teach on this, this practice of differentiation or this concept of differentiation. A differentiation is, is the, the process of remaining close to God, remaining close to myself, and remaining close to you in times of high anxiety. And I believe that what our churches need to be trained in and in discipled in is exactly that. How do I remain close to God? How do I remain close to my own self, my own opinions, my own values, my own feelings, and at the same time, remain close to you in a time of high anxiety? This is what we need to be trained for, for the future. And it comes by listening deeply to God, listening deeply to each other, listening deeply to ourselves. When I look at John 15 and what Jesus teaches us about dwelling and abiding well, I cannot help but a, a, a practical outworking of this is the discipline of listening, the practice of listening. It was the Quaker author Douglas Steer who said, to listen to another soul may be the greatest service any human being performs for another. Now, abiding amidst a culture of disconnection, abiding amidst the culture of distraction, abiding amidst the culture of disagreements. In order to do all these things, Jesus says it requires us to lay down our lives. Greater love has no person than this, to lay down their lives for another. In other words, to do this is painful. This is not easy. 
You're not going to feel good in the process. But this is the path to a resurrected life. This is the path to a restored community. This is the path to a, a healed relationship. This is the path to a whole soul. This is the path to abide well with God and to abide well with one another. And the reason we do this is not to curry the favor of God. The reason we do this is because this is what God has meant to do and has done for us throughout the scriptures. I want to end with this here. The call to abiding well is not something Jesus taught us, but did not practice himself. The entire story of the Bible is about God's passion and desire to dwell with his people. This is the story of the Bible, to meno, to dwell, to abide. If you want to understand the story of the Bible in one word, it's abide, dwelling, remaining. We see this in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, not so that he can just give them stuff to do, but God wants to abide with them, to be in relationship with them. But they sin, and the sin allows them, or God moves them outside of the garden because of it. But God does not give up on wanting to abide with his people. Throughout the Old Testament, you see God longing to abide and be with his people. He visits his people in a burning bush. He visits his people in a cloud in the day and in a fire by night. He visits his people through prophets. And God thought, it's not good enough for me to come to you as a cloud. It's not good enough for me to come to you as fire. It's not good enough to give a prophet my message and to deliver it on my behalf. I love you so much. I want to be with you. And this is what we find in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among his people. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of Christianity. God longing to dwell with his people, but it wasn't enough to dwell with his people. Jesus lives for 33 years. He dies on the cross. He resurrects. He ascends to the Father. But as he ascends to the Father, he says, it's not good enough that I was with you. I want to be in you. I want to dwell inside of you. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell inside the people of God. That's how close God wants to be with you. Not just next to you. But God wants to dwell inside of you. God wants to abide in you as you abide in God. This is the story of the Bible. And so the invitation for us, brothers and sisters, is to look at this incredible story, to focus our hearts on what Jesus has taught us in John 15, to abide in him. And as we do so, Abide with one another. This is the message the church desperately needs for our time. Let's pray together. Lord, what a gift it is to open up scripture, to hear your voice, to be moved by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray now that you would awaken something in us 
that we would be people who abide in you. Because the story of the Bible is you've longed to abide with us. May we reciprocate that desire that you've had for us. And Lord, in so doing, teach us by your grace to be people who abide well with one another. Even through our differences, give us the grace and the empowerment of the Spirit to do so. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm Jarrett Stevens. And I'm Jeannie Stevens, and we want to welcome you to the Soul City YouTube channel. As the lead pastors of Soul City Church, we just want to say how excited we are that you're joining with us here online. We hope that you've been encouraged and impacted during your time with us here, and that you would actually share and comment on our videos so we can keep on engaging with you. Yeah, and we want to make sure that you join us during our live services each week so that our church can connect with you in real time. The other thing that we'd love for you to do is hit the subscribe button so that you can stay connected to all that's going on in and around Soul City Church. And if you have kids, make sure to check out our Soul City Kids channel. It's filled with phenomenal Bible stories and adventures for kids of all ages, where they can actually grow their faith in a fun and engaging way. To learn more about all the ways that you can engage with us and experience spiritual transformation from wherever you're at, just visit our website at soulcitychurch.com. And just know that we love you, that we're grateful for you, we're praying for you, and thanks for visiting us here today. We hope it's been a gift to you. We look forward to connecting with you soon.